Our reading for today is from John 2, verses 1 to 12. So John 2, verses 1 to 12. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from. Those servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone bring out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. After this he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. Thanks, Ray. Uh, Such a great story, and uh, I'm going to pray that as we take a closer look at it, that we might enjoy and savour the hit God's word. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. It's brilliant. Uh, you're uh, so very kind to give it to us and that you've uh, seen it passed down faithfully through the centuries uh, and it's in our own language now in our laps and we can read it and ponder it and savour it and ask that you would uh, impress how good you are uh, in and through these words to us on our hearts so that our faith might be stronger and our love for you greater. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last weekend we had a big wedding in the life of the church family. Uh, our very own uh, Zach and Ash, they got married after five long years and one tormenting year this, this year during COVID. Uh, they finally tied knot. It was great. I had the incredible privilege of officiating the wedding. That's me. <laughs> I got a haircut just for that. <laughs> yep. And I know, a suit. <clears throat> anyway. And I heard them, well, I was there, <laughs> right in the middle of it, uh, seeing them make promises to each other of entering into a marriage covenant together. And as with other weddings uh, that I've done, I've done a few, uh, I chatted a little bit about marriage, uh, quoting from Jesus in the book of Genesis and how marriage is a gift from God. It's the, uh, for the making of a new family, uh, for the proper expression of human sexuality and for the raising of children for the good order of society. But I also said... Uh, that it's a shadow, a shadow of the relationship between Christ and his church. Now, I'm not sure how many people uh, were actually listening when I said that. Uh, They might have actually been thinking more about the looming clouds uh, that were gathering since it was outdoors. Uh, (laughs) But I got the sense, uh, looking at this couple and the glorious surrounds, we were at uh, Glenworth Valley, and all the effort that had been put into the setting. I mean, Zach had made an arbour, for goodness sake. He made that that thing over them. That's an arbour, I found out. Uh, and Ash's dress, 
Oh my goodness, it was stunning, it was glorious. And I imagine it might have been hard uh, for people to hear or even to visualise how all that was just a shadow of a greater marriage, uh, the marriage between Christ and his church. But I think the Gospel of John in our passage today wants us to get something of a picture of this, something of the, the new glorious life that we have or can have uh, with Jesus. So before we get to that passage, just to recap, uh, the last bit of chapter 1, we saw uh, Jesus come with a bunch of names, names that said he's more than people were expecting. He's not just the Messiah, uh, come to save people from political and economic slavery. He's the Lamb of God, come to save people from sin and death. He's not just the King of Israel, uh, empowered by God to rule the nations. He's the eternal Son of Man. From Daniel 7, fully human, fully God, empowered to rule the entire cosmos. And as such, uh, we saw that he's he's more than we can hope for or dream of. He's what our hearts truly crave and what they really, really need. And here's the thing. He wants us, he, this Jesus, he wants us to be in a relationship, a good relationship with him. And he wants it so bad, he's going to make it formal. He's going to put a ring on it. And John so very clearly sets this up, I reckon, in the next bit in our story. As Jesus and his disciples step into a wedding. A wedding that sets the scene uh, for a greater wedding. A divine wedding. The wedding between Jesus and those who would believe in him, his people. So that's that's where we're going today. We're going to a wedding. And we're going to see, firstly, the glorious groom. And then secondly, uh, we're going to see the blessings of the new covenant Uh, Thirdly, we're going to see the two made one. And then finally, we'll look at uh, the new life with Jesus. So, firstly, the glorious groom. Normally in a wedding, uh, everyone is blown away by the bride, right? What she's wearing, how glorious she looks. Uh, That was certainly the case uh, at Ash and Zach's wedding. Zach is not an unattractive man. Uh, let's face it, if you've met him, uh, and he scrubbed up pretty nice in a suit. But uh, there's no doubt that Ash stole the visual show. She was uh, glorious. But here's the thing. In this wedding here at Cana, in a sense we'll see Jesus, well, he's, he's the only bridegroom really on show here, and we're told it's him who shines. We read it earlier uh, in verse 11. What Jesus did here at this wedding in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. Jesus shines in this story. Somehow his glory is revealed. Presumably it's the same glory John's already mentioned that he and the other disciples saw in verse 14, where we're told uh, they saw that the glory of the word become flesh, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so... It's at this wedding in Cana that this glory is it's first revealed, that Jesus is some, seen something as the Son of the Father, seen as full, fully God and fully man, full of grace and truth, and that he firstly shines as such uh, on the sixth day at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now, we read, you read on the third day, that's actually the sixth day in the story. Uh, It's the third day after the last day John's mentioned uh, in chapter 1, which makes it day 6. Now, is that an accident? The sixth day? Uh, Given that the gospel, how does the gospel start? 
in the beginning. How's Genesis start? In the beginning and moves in the Genesis story to day six with a wedding like in Genesis where we're told uh, in Genesis that's why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So I don't think it's an accident that uh, the Gospel, that John, uh, writes the way that he does. He knows exactly what he's doing when he mentions Jesus at a wedding on the sixth day. And so we see Jesus at a wedding on the sixth day where he's kind of given away by his mother. So we read in verse 3, When the wine was gone, uh, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. And he says, woman? It's interesting how he calls, uh, Jesus calls his mother woman. Don't know how my mum would react if I called her woman. How do you reckon she reacted? (laughs) Yeah, not well. So, (laughs) uh, there's something, it's not unkind what Jesus is doing here, but but it's a bit formal. And then he goes on to say, uh, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. In the Greek, it reads literally, what to you and to me, woman? My hour has not yet come. Or it could just as literally read, what to me and to you, woman, has not my time yet come? In the sense of uh, that Jesus is saying, my time is coming for something new. Uh, as such, the relationship between him and her, between his mother and himself, it's going to change. It's time to leave his mother and the old life and the ways of Judaism that she represents. At uh, Zach and Ash's wedding, it was a really touching moment when Ash's mum and dad uh, walked her down the aisle and uh, gave her away. And she kissed them both and then symbolically walked to Zach. And as she did that, it wasn't just a sign that she was leaving her old family to start a new one, but it was also a sign that they were letting her go to do so. And maybe that's something of what's going on here between Jesus and his mother. He he formally calls her woman, not mother, as a hint that he's leaving his old family and the old life uh, with that to start something new, a new family. And he's, he's saying that time is near, which his mother accepts. And might explain why she then turns to the servants in verse 5 and says, do whatever he tells you. Because she's anticipating something new. And something new happens, doesn't it? Something wonderful. Jesus turns water into wine. And with that we see Jesus shine at a wedding. We see not only his divine power in the miracle, we see what the miracle points to. It shows us who he is. It's a little bit like a a ring at a wedding. Uh, That's the symbol of a a sign of the couple's commitment to each other. Well, like a, a wedding ring then, Jesus' miracle... At this wedding, it's a sign. It's a sign of his glory, a sign of who he is, a sign to show that he's more than a miracle worker, a sign to show that he's God, come in the flesh, coming to his people, leaving the old life and the old ways behind for a new life. A new life that we'll see uh, later through the greater miracle of his resurrection. And that he's revealing something of that hope at this wedding. Uh, it suggests his coming then is like that of a, of a groom. For his bride, the most glorious of grooms, as God come in the flesh. Which brings us to uh, the second point, uh, that this glorious groom, Jesus, comes to make a new life with God's people 
a new covenant uh, with them that is full of blessings. So that's the second point. The blessings of the new covenant. Uh, Pictured in this story as Jesus transforms something old into something wonderfully new. So verse 6, we read, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Note the old here. Uh, the stone jars the Jews used for ceremonial washing. Uh, ceremonial washing was a tradition that the religious uh, leaders had set up at the time, a tradition to show that someone is clean, uh, clean before God, a tradition that they were proud of, a tradition that they thought everyone should keep if they wanted to be clean and right with God. But Jesus, he takes that old way of thinking, that tradition, and he transforms it into something wonderfully new as he turns water into wine. And here's the thing about this wine. There's a lot of it, and it's really, really good. The jars, they hold 20 to 30 gallons, which is about oh, 80 to 120 litres. And there were six of them, filled to the brim. So around 500 to 600 litres of wine, that's around 650 to 800 bottles of wine. Uh, Jesus turns a lot of water into a lot of wine. And it's really, really good wine. It's the best. The master of the banquet, the, the chief servant, kind of the MC of the wedding, that's what he says uh, to the bridegroom in verse 10, you've saved the best till now. Now, I'm not a wine connoisseur, uh, but apparently the best overall wine of 2020 is this one. Uh, forgive me if I pronounce it badly. Uh, the Catina Zapata Adriana Vineyard Foruna Terre Malbec 2016. Yeah. Which is dense and fresh, full-bodied and layered, flavourful and elegant, all at once. At least that's what the blurb said. A bottle of this will knock you back about 160 bucks. Uh, and Jesus makes 650 to 800 bottles of something, no doubt better than that. That's far over... A hundred thousand bucks worth of quality. Now who knows how much more comparatively it would have been uh, back then in Jesus' day. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of lavishness here and Jesus just pours it on. Pretty extravagant, right? I don't know uh, what Ash and Zach's parents forked out for their wedding. Um, but I'm pretty sure if a stranger offered uh, to give 800 bottles of the best wine they'd be pretty blown away at the expensive and immense, immense generosity of it. I can imagine it might even be a little bit embarrassing, like you, you feel you just couldn't take it. It's, it's, that's too much. It's, just too, it's excessive, right? Which is kind of the point here with Jesus. He's offering far, far, far too much. And it's a sign. A sign of what he's offering and he, in himself, his very life an eternal life with him. It's just so extravagant. But because this sign is with wine, there's an extra something, something special about it. Jesus, he's not just doing something extravagant, he's doing something that's closely linked with joy and, and happiness. Now, of course, wine and alcoholic drinks, they can be abused, and they have been, of course, I'm sure uh, we have personally been exposed to that. And that's not what God wants. But the Bible uh, is also pretty clear when it's not abused. Wine and al- alcoholic drinks, uh, for those above 18, uh, they're, not, they're, they're a good thing. 
they're a good thing because they gladden the heart. Wine's a good thing because it brings pleasure. And the fact that Jesus makes so much of something that brings joy and pleasure and that he's making this new and wonderful thing from something old says something about what he's on about. Yeah, that, that he's this glorious groom. He's hinting at the promises he's going to make that he's made and he's promising life with him, wonderful life, life to the full, abundant, extravagant and delightful life with God. Life that no other way or thing or person can deliver on. Every other way of trying to be clean and right and good with God, of trying to be sure that he likes you, that he loves you, that he wants to be with you, of trying to make heaven on earth in this life, in any other relationship, well, that's old, that's tired and old. That's, that's the old life, the, the, the old way. And it's a little bit like big empty jars of stone compared to the extravagant and wonderful and delightful life with God coming to us in Jesus. Uh, it's no accident that the prophets in the Old Testament, they talk of God coming to people like it's a party with a lot of wine. Around 750 years before Jesus, God spoke through the prophet Amos, uh, saying, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Back here in John, the Gospel of John, we see Jesus, God in the flesh, coming to his people, bringing an extravagant abundance of wine at a wedding as a sign of God's extravagant promises, a sign of a new covenant being fulfilled through Jesus and the lavish gift of his life for us, where God says this in Jesus. This is what he says to you. I will forgive you all your sins, past, present and future. I will cleanse you and make you pure. You will be the apple of my eye. I will be your God. You will be my people in a new and eternal life. You can't get more life than this, can you? In Jesus, God promises this life, life to the full, eternal life, a life that starts now by faith. Which is the third point. The two made one. God revealed in Jesus, united to his people by their faith in him. As we read in verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I don't think it's an accident that at the end of a wedding where a man leads his father and mother and binds himself to his wife with promises that on the sixth day we see Jesus, the glorious groom, God in the flesh, having left his old life with his mother, having given a sign of the new covenant promises that we're told his disciples believed in him. Because it's by faith in Jesus that people become one with Jesus, that they're united to him. They're in Christ by faith in him. It's by faith they're buried with him in his death for their sin. It's by faith they're raised with him in his resurrection to eternal life. It's by faith they're seated with him in the heavenly realms for God's glory. It's by faith that we're united to Jesus. It's by faith that we've heard and accepted his covenant promises 
that we're bound to him now like a husband and a wife. The Apostle Paul marvels at this when he quotes from Genesis and says in Ephesians, For this reason the man shall leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. That's from Genesis and then he goes on to say, this is a profound mystery, but I'm not talking about a husband and a wife. I'm talking about Christ and the church. That means any of us who believe in Jesus. It's kind of like we've stood at the altar. We've seen something of the glory of our divine groom. We've accepted he's God in the flesh, come for us. We've heard the, his lavish covenant promises to us of God's forgiveness in his death for us, uh, for our sins, of eternal life with God in his resurre- resurrection for us. And by trusting in him in this, we're bound to him. We're united to him, happily united to him for life. For eternal life, as two made one by faith in Jesus. The two of us are made one. Our life now, it's bound up in his. It's a little bit like when a couple says they're pregnant. right? You've probably heard that. Technically, that's not the case. She's pregnant. He's just happy she is. But they speak as if they're both pregnant, right? As if they're one. And in a profound, profound sense, a sense their unborn child actually shows, they are one. Well, in the same way, by faith in Jesus, it is that we are profoundly one with him. So much so that our life, it's now bound up with his. The life that we live, it's not our own. Which brings us to the final point. The new life with Jesus. You may notice uh, how newlyweds, they just seem to be infuriatingly inseparable. Uh, they do everything together. Everything. They might even finish each other's sentences. Ugh, sickening. But to them it's just so normal and right and good. And in a lot of ways, we prefer it. We, we actually like it. We, we prefer it to the opposite, right? There's nothing good about a married couple never doing anything together. Nobody thinks a long-distance marriage is the best thing because a big, important part of marriage is the togetherness of it, right? That the old life of living alone is happily replaced by the new life of living together, of doing life together, which is kind of like the new life with Jesus. Having seen his glory and accepted his promises by faith, we're now wed to Jesus, wed to the one who made us and loves us to death, And so the best thing for us to do is to take his mother's advice in this passage and do whatever he tells you. Not out of fear or even a begrudging sense of duty. Well, I should really do what Jesus says. But but because you're enamoured by his glory and captivated by his promises and his love for you. So be captivated. Be enamoured by who he is and his love for you. Commit his promises to heart and recall them. One of the best weddings I've uh, seen, uh, sorry, wedding gifts that I've seen, is a framed copy of the vows and promises that the, the couple make that they can put on their bedroom wall or somewhere else around the house to remind each other of the covenant that they entered into. Why not do something similar with God's promises to you and Jesus? 
stick stick up one John one nine somewhere at home, or Hebrews thirteen five, or James one five, or Romans ten nine, uh, or any other promise that is in God's word to you in Jesus. Commit them to memory. Google God's promises in the Bible and write them down. Turn it into a little book. Get a tattoo of them. Or a bunch of them. Do whatever it takes to keep God's promises always before you that you might be always to be able to be captivated by them, by his promises and his love for you. And as we do this, as we're drawn to consider God's glory in the face of Jesus and captivated by his promises to us, you'll find you'll be more than happy to do whatever he tells you, knowing that he's got your best in mind, that he loves you to death. And then maybe, as your heart is softened towards him, ask him to help you see how to live with him, how you might transform the old life, the old way of doing things, the way of the world, transform those to reflect the new life that we have in Jesus. Maybe maybe by including him in every decision that we make and being unapologetic for sounding like an old married couple. People ask, if people ask, but because you want to run everything by him. Drinks on Friday night? Let me run that by Jesus. More opportunities at work? Let me run that by Jesus. Another hour in front of the screen? Let me run that by Jesus. Bringing up that friend that I haven't talked to for ages? Let me run that by Jesus. Spending more time with my church family? Let me run that by Jesus. Getting along to another sporting event? Having another slice of pie? Hopping on Facebook or Snapchat at the beginning and the end of each day. Let me run that by Jesus. Ask him in prayer. And then follow it up. Finding out what he wants in his word, the Bible. Maybe it's taking those old ways of doing things for ourselves alone and with Jesus, including others, for their good. Like inviting Maybe inviting someone from school or work to play the PlayStation with you, watch a movie with you, play a board game with you, take the dog for a walk with you. Maybe it's getting into a sport or an activity that others enjoy so you can spend time with them and bring Jesus into their life because he's in yours. Whatever it is that we're thinking of doing, that we've decided to do, let's do it with Jesus. Let's live all of life with Jesus in mind, because as our glorious groom, who's promised so much in his new lavish covenant and life, the one that we've happily put our faith in as such, we're his and he is ours. Our life is not our own. That was the old life. Life now is all about the new life with Jesus. This week I watched... uh, Most of the talk by a once prominent evangelical minister, a guy called Rob Bell. talk was called Everything is Spiritual. It's a catchy title, isn't it? Rob's a very gifted communicator. He's a knack of uh, rebranding and recasting the old into something new. At the end of the talk, he gave a benediction, or as he explained, he spoke a good word over his listeners, kind of like a wish for them. 
and borrowing from an old tradition, he raised his hands over the crowd like a blessing and he said this, May you, my brothers and sisters, see yourselves as a grounded centre from which all sorts of new life is just wanting to explode into the universe. And may you open yourself up to that so that that can happen. And may you come to see that everything is spiritual. Intrigue me that last sentence. Everything is spiritual. Because having spent time in this passage this week, Rob's right. Everything is spiritual. Or at least it should be. But not by seeing some grounded centre in yourself with a whole lot of explosive potential. That's, that's not spiritual. What's spiritual is finding that grounded centre in God. The God who has shown himself towards us in Jesus as our glorious groom, promising us new life, life to the full, eternal life with him, that we might live all of life with him. And I'm going to pray to that end now for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and we praise you for your immense and wonderful goodness uh, to us in Jesus. We thank you that in him, You have come to us, the glorious groom, making extravagant and wonderful and lavish promises. Promises to forgive us, to cleanse us, to be with us now and forever, for us to be your people and for you to be our God. You have promised this life, this new life, this life to the full in Jesus, in him, and we thank and we praise you for it. May your promises fulfilled in Jesus, your wonderful son, who died on that cross for us, rose from the dead for us, ascended into heaven for us and is interceding for us now in him. May you captivate our hearts and our minds afresh with your promises, your words, so wonderfully fulfilled in Jesus such that we might do what he wants because we know it's the best thing for us. And because you love us to death and beyond. And we pray this in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Our glorious groom. Amen.